Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 16 this morning. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19 as we continue. Uh, this is a series, this is an emphasis that's bigger than just us. It's bigger than just Meadowbrook Baptist Church. This is uh, part of a consistent emphasis this year through the North American Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention, of which we are a part, to encourage us uh, to firstly know Christ to know and follow Christ, and secondly, to share Christ, to share the gospel of Christ with those the Lord puts in our path. And so for those of you that like to know where we're going, we'll be in this series the next couple weeks, and then we'll be turning our attention to the book of Exodus after that as we dive into that portion of God's word. But it's no secret that uh, we all live in one of the wealthiest nations on the earth. Uh, a place that provides opportunities in education and training and development, uh, great amounts of personal choice and personal freedom to pursue our dreams. And we are grateful for it. We are grateful that we have the opportunities and the freedoms to live where we do and to pursue the things that we do. And usually what we mean uh, by the American dream is the good life. Freedom, success, comfort, status, and riches. And in and of themselves, these things are not evil, but they are not ultimate. They're not ultimate. In fact, to pursue and to settle for these things is actually to miss the good life, according to God's word. Friends, the good life is life with God. The good life is is life with God. And as we open up God's word today, we're going to read about a man who seemed to have it all, who seemed to have everything that he could ever want or imagine, but he did not have life with God. A man who thought that he had the good life until his life was taken away. A man whose good life was short-lived because he didn't know the God of eternity. And so as we open up the Word of God, let's listen to these words of Jesus Christ. Let's listen to what Jesus has to say. And let's learn from him. So as you find your place in Luke chapter 16, and by the way, you can find this text on page 850 of a pew Bible, but as you find your place in Luke 16, let me invite you to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19, Jesus tells a story. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let 
them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for your word today. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. What a God who calls us and equips us, who invites us to know you. And so, Lord, as we we reflect on the truths of your word, give us wisdom, guide us by the presence and power of your spirit that we might understand the truths of your word and apply them to our lives as your people for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So if you've spent much time in church, this is probably a story that is familiar to you here. Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable about a man who has everything and about another man, a poor man who seemingly has nothing. In fact, the contrast between these two men could not be any starker. The rich man is dressed in purple, meaning his clothes were dyed with a costly dye reserved for the elite of his day. In fact, scholars say that uh, this combination of a purple outer garment and fine linen undergarment was the ultimate in luxury of the day. Think of an Armani suit, a Gucci purse, or some other uh, luxury item that people might pursue today or want today who have means to do so. This rich man feasts. That's what the text says. He, He lives in luxury Every day, literally the word there is that uh, he enjoys himself, he's glad, he's, he's merry. Think, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the picture. Every day, in his palace-like house protected by his gate, he seemingly has it all. But there's another man, a man named Lazarus. By the way, the only named person in any of Jesus' parables. Let that sink in for a minute. And this Lazarus has nothing, no house, no clothes mentioned, covered with sores, starving to death, visited by dogs, not pets, but pests, scavenging dogs that roam the city looking for discarded rubbish. I'll be honest, in a low point yesterday after uh, fighting with my kids all week who are begging for a dog, by the way, and mom and dad are just saying, no, not right now. We cannot handle a puppy in our lives and nothing against dog uh, dogs i know we have some dog lovers here today i always had a dog growing up but in a moment of desperation i said you know what kids uh in the bible dogs were not some uh some uh, some uh, some pet that sat in your lap these, these are animals that roam the streets now don't be offended dog lovers and uh in response you know kids took that in and my daughter said Well, I don't care. I want a dog. (laughs) But this is not Rufus. This is not Fido. This is not Lassie. Uh, These are wild dogs that are running the streets looking for something to eat. You see, the contrast continues even beyond death. For notice the rich man is buried, verse 22, but there's no mention of a burial for Lazarus. And in both Jewish and Roman culture, proper burial was highly important. It was significant. According to one scholar, to be refused burial as a Jew was tantamount to bearing the curse of God. No mention of Lazarus' burial. But beyond death, their fortunes are quickly reversed, implying that earthly riches are no indication of eternal riches. 
Friends, earthly riches are no indication of eternal riches. In other words, you can have it all here. And you can be left with absolutely nothing for eternity. Without any explanation, Jesus says that the rich man goes to Hades or the realm of the dead. Which the New Testament essentially equates with hell. Hades is known as the the realm of the dead and the Old Testament. But never does the New Testament use Hades to describe the fate of the saved. This is a place of torment, a place of judgment. And in contrast, the poor sick beggar goes to Abraham's side, meaning that he's with the saints. He's, he's with Father Abraham, the patriarch. He's in paradise with the people of God. Their, their roles have been dramatically reversed. On earth, the rich man had all he wanted and the poor man had nothing. And now for all of eternity, the poor man has all he could ever want and the rich man has nothing. Earthly riches are no indication of eternal riches. So rich man, do not think too much of yourself. Do not think too much of yourself. CEO, CPA, MD, MDiv, PE or PhD. Do not think too much of yourself. Earthly riches or popularity or position or athletic accomplishment. None of these are any indication of your eternal position. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You see, there's no room for boasting among God's people. The Bible is clear on this again and again and again. No room for boasting among God's people. Yet in our sinful flesh, we are so prone to boast. Jeremiah's day, the Lord said, do not let wise people brag about how wise they are. Do not let strong people boast about how strong they are. Do not let rich people brag about how rich they are. But here is what the one who brags should boast about. They should brag that they have the understanding to know me. He said, I want them to know that I am the Lord. No matter what I do on earth, I am always kind, fair and right. And I take delight in this. In other words, if you're going to boast in anything, boast that you know me, God says. And this is who I am. Get to know me. In his letter to Philippians, Paul writes, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. The rich man in this story did not value others above himself. There's no indication at all in the story of Christ that this man gave Lazarus anything at all. But loving God includes caring for the Lazaruses of this world. Loving God includes caring for the poor. According to Jesus, loving God includes caring for the poor. Our church covenant that every new member of our church must agree to support says this. One of the sections reads this way. It says, we will generously give time, talents, and resources in support of the church, the relief of the poor. And the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Truth be told, some are reacting to this idea today. Some are reacting. There's a debate that's going on in many circles today among believers. uh, Reacting to this idea of intentional care and concern for the poor. By saying that such a focus is a distraction from the mission of the church and the mission of God. Some are saying that too much talk in the church about things like uh, pro-life policies or 
racial equality or the evils of white supremacy or the alleviation of poverty, the need for immigration reform. Some are saying that such discussions in the church move us away from a gospel of grace toward embracing a social or political gospel. Now, I'm not pushing anybody to go explore that uh, conversation and debate because I don't think it's a very healthy one. There's much that's being said that dishonors God and in a way that dishonors God. And I want you to know, church, I'm not interested in a social gospel, a a so-called political gospel. But I am interested in the gospel of grace that forgives sinners and calls and compels the forgiven to show a kind of radical kindness and mercy that mirrors the radical kindness and mercy of the Most High God. In other words, I am interested in a gospel that transforms lives. And if we're to believe the words of God, to believe the message of Christ, then, then we must be. The Lord said through Micah, he said, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. Micah says, God has shown you what is good. What is it? What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? James, the brother of Jesus and a leader in the New Testament church, writes and challenges us in this way. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Suppose there's one among you who doesn't have what they need. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, he says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. According to Jesus in this story, here's a man who witnessed a brother without clothes and daily food, but did absolutely nothing about his physical needs. And the clear implication by what Jesus says is that this man had a dead faith. Consumed with himself, with no concern for his neighbor. Friend, loving God includes caring for the poor, so do not think too much of yourself and do not think too little of others. Do not think too little of others. Caring for the poor is no guarantee of faith in Jesus. We ought to know this. It's no more a guarantee of faith in Jesus than attending church is a guarantee of faith in Jesus. Neither of these or any other work or good deed that we might pursue can save us. Only the blood of Jesus can save us. But caring for others will and must, according to the word of God, it must accompany love for Jesus. Why? Because if we love Jesus, we begin to love what he loves. And the truth is, according to the word of God, that God loves people, that he values people as people made in his image. He loves all people, and that most certainly includes the poor. Consider how often the Old Testament calls the people of God to care for the widow and the orphan, the stranger, the alien, the one in in poverty. In fact, again and again, the prophets Announce the coming judgment of God on the people of God. Yes, for idolatry, for worshiping false gods and abandoning the worship of the true and only God, Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. But not only so, they also indict the people for not loving their neighbor, for not caring for the poor among them. And consider how often our Lord Jesus associates with the hurting, the lowly, the sinner, the outcast of his day. And consider the rich truths of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that They provide the framework for how we understand humanity in God's creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image 
in our likeness. So that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It goes on, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. In other words, humanity is set apart, set apart and set above the rest of creation, valued as image bearers of the most high God and charged to represent God by ruling over the rest of creation. Of course, we know the rest of the story. We know this quickly takes a turn south in Genesis chapter 3 where sin enters the picture. And this relationship with God, this perfect relationship with God that we were created to enjoy as people is disrupted by, by sin and rebellion. I think according to God's word, sin not only separates us from God, it also separates us from God honoring relationships with each other. In other words, selfishness quickly takes over. And in Jesus' parable, the rich man cares nothing about the poor man who has nothing. In fact, notice that even in the afterlife, this rich man continues to really only care for himself and people like him. Notice that he's still operating under worldly categories of arrogance and superiority for he assumes the once poor Lazarus can still come serve him. Sin Lazarus, verse 24. Hey, Abraham, sin Lazarus. Sin Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm, I'm here in agony. In other words, he's still operating from a position of superiority and supremacy. He's, he's still used to being at the head of the conference table. He's still used to calling the shots and other people doing his bidding. He goes on, he says, sin Lazarus, verse 28. Sin Lazarus to my family. I have five brothers. In other words, have Lazarus, have poor Lazarus. Have him do my bidding, have him run my errands. This is the first time the rich man shows any interest in anyone other than himself, though it's still not for the poor, but it's for his own. The late Leon Morris, a Testament scholar, writes, he says, in eternity, earth's values no longer apply. Sink in for in eternity, earth's values no longer apply. And I would say, then neither should they among God's people here on earth. And Paul says it this way, Romans 10, verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. In other words, God is the God of the rich and he's the God of the poor. He's the God of Caucasians and he's the God of African-Americans. He's the God of Asians. He's the God of Mexicans. He's the God of Kenyans. He's the God of all. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. His gospel is for the high, the lofty, the prosperous and the wealthy, but it's also for the weak, the lowly, the sick and the beggar. The good life is life with God. And the gospel of Jesus, the story of the Bible tells us how to have just that, how to have life with God. That's what Romans 10 is all about. Paul says, for there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And then he goes on, verse 13, he says, for everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul, the apostle, proceeds to charge us He's sharing the gospel, but then he charges believers, he charges disciples, he charges Christians in the church to tell the world this truth. 
To call upon the people of the world to call on the name of the Lord. In other words, to really love others, we must tell them the truth. To love others, we must tell them the truth. It's a lie that's being shared in our culture today that essentially says if you want to love others, respect their privacy. Don't get into conversations about faith. Don't get into conversations about religion. But if we believe this message, the most unloving thing we can do is not tell others about it. To really love others, we must tell them the truth. To love your neighbor, you must tell her the truth. To love your children, you must teach them the truth. To love the poor man, you must show him the truth. You see, the gospel is for the poor. The gospel is for the poor. And I'm not talking about simply the impoverished of this world, for that would preclude most, if not all, of us gathered in this room this morning. I'm talking about the spiritually impoverished of this world. Jesus said, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who recognize their need for me, he says. I'm talking about those who don't even know they're poor. Some of them think they have the good life, but like this rich man, they are deeply, deeply mistaken. Because apart from the redeeming grace of the Most High God, we are all living in poverty. We need Him. And thank God He has come to us so that we can have Him. So that we can know Him. So that we can enjoy Him. So that we can have the riches of His grace. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. And he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just save person. Believer in Jesus, you know. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Friends, that's good news. That's love. That is a rescuing love. That's the greatest love that we could ever know and experience. And to really love others, we must tell them this truth, the truth about eternal riches that's offered through Jesus Christ. Which means we must also tell them. We must also tell them that hell awaits those who reject Jesus. That God's judgment is real. That we cannot take the message of God's word seriously. We cannot take the words of Jesus seriously and deny that God's judgment is real. And it's deserved. This former rich man who spent his earthly existence living for himself recounts the horror in this parable of eternity in hell. Listen to what he says. Verse 24, he says, I am in agony in this fire. Verse 28, he says, Let Lazarus warn my brothers so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replies, verse 29, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. In other words, what he's saying is they have the scriptures. He says they have the witness of God's people and His Word that's gone before. Let them listen to the warnings. Let them listen to the message. Let them hear the message. How can they hear the message if they don't have a preacher? They don't have a proclaimer. They don't have a witness to tell them. Verse 30, No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. In other words, the Scriptures aren't good enough. God, your witness, your prophets, your preachers, your ministers, your people who have gone before, that's not enough. They... They need to see someone rise from the dead. 
Abraham says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Again, Leon Morris helpfully writes, he says, in the context, the one risen from the dead must be Lazarus. But then he continues, he says, but Luke's readers, and that's us, that Luke's readers could scarcely help thinking about Jesus. He rose. But those who refuse to see him in the scriptures and to heed what is written refuse to be convinced by one risen from the dead. Friends, he is alive. He arose. It's alive forevermore. And church, the good news of the gospel of grace is that Jesus came. He came into this world to rescue sinners from hell. He came to restore and to save. We stood condemned because of our sin, but a perfect Savior took our place and He took our penalty and in exchange He gave his, us His position of righteousness before God Most High. Now, according to the Word, according to John chapter 3, verse 17, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved through Jesus? It means to be in right relationship with God. It means to be reconciled to your maker. It means to to be forgiven of your sins. It means to await eternity with Him. This is good news. This is gospel news. And this is why to really love others, we must tell them the truth about the good life. The truth that heaven awaits those who repent and receive Jesus. That heaven awaits those who repent and receive Jesus. That eternal life and the presence and provision of God Most High, the one who made us, the one who sustains us, the one who loves us and redeems us, that heaven awaits those who repent and receive Jesus. Have you repented and received Jesus? Have you turned and trusted in the Savior? You know that you're right with God. You can know today. And repentance is an important and necessary piece of this, a piece that sometimes we we undercommunicate. Sometimes I think if we're not careful, we don't emphasize enough. The message of Jesus was essentially repent, believe, come follow me. Repent, believe, come follow me. Believe being a key component of this. But remember, according to James, even the demons believe in God. To repent is to turn away from a life without Christ and to turn and follow Jesus Christ. Are you following Christ? Is He your Lord? Is He your King? Are you following after Jesus? See, to follow Christ is to participate in the good life. The truly good life. Both now here on earth as we commune with Him, knowing that we are right with God, as we enter into God's presence confidently and boldly through the blood of Jesus as the author of Hebrews instructs us to. Follow Christ is to participate in the good life both now and forevermore. The good life is life with God. Are you living the good life? Or are you settling for cheap imitations of this world? The story reminds us that hell is real. We've, we've earned it. Truth is, we don't have to go there. In fact, according to the Bible, this is not the place that the Lord desires any of us to go. The Bible states that God desires all people to repent and to come to a knowledge of the truth, to come to Him. And for those who do, for those who turn and receive Jesus in faith, for those who do, Christ's words give hope, great hope. 
The Christ who told his followers, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Tells us, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, one of those disciples, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus responds with his famous words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friend, have you come to the Father through the Son? Have you come to the Father through Jesus? Have you received the life that He gives? Have you turned and trusted in Christ? Have you received the sufficient, the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the perfect sacrifice in your place, in my place, and in exchange, have you received His righteousness? That he freely offers to you. Repent and turn and trust in Christ. If you've not come to the Father through the Son. May today be the day of salvation in your life. May today be the day that you claim Christ as Lord. And you cling to his sacrifice as sufficient for you. May today be the day that you're reconciled to your maker. And then follower. Brother, sister. Servant of the Most High God, follower of Jesus, disciple of Christ. Who do you know who needs to come to the Father through the Son? Who do you know that needs to hear about the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Who's your one? Who's your one? If you haven't already, let me challenge you to identify someone in your life, in your sphere of influence. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a classmate, a co-worker, maybe it's a neighbor, someone the Lord has put in your path that needs to know about the grace of Jesus Christ. Who's your one? Who are you going to tell about Jesus? Who are you telling about Jesus? Who are you going to tell this week about Jesus? Tell someone. They need to know. Would you bow with me? Father, we give you thanks today that someone told us about you. We give you thanks for those who took the time and told us about the predicament that we are in apart from your redeeming grace. For many of us, Lord, we acknowledge that that has been someone, maybe multiple someones over a season of life that invested in sharing and showing the truth of the gospel to us. Lord, may we be eternally grateful. And may we continually be reminded of the riches of your grace, undeserved kindness and mercy that you have shown us. And may we be so consumed by it that we are compelled to speak your truth. To speak the truth in love. What does your word says to make the most of every opportunity that you give us to share and show the love of Jesus. May we be a faithful people who do just that. Lord, help us identify those that you put in our past that need to hear the gospel. Give us the courage to tell them. Remind us that you are with us. Give us a love for you and your word so that we saturate ourselves in the truth of your word that we we know you and your truth so well that it flows out of our mouths when we encounter others. Lord, may we be just such a people. 
And Father, I pray for those that are gathered here this morning who do not know you, who do not follow Christ, who are not certain of their eternal security and salvation. Lord, I pray that today they would repent and trust in Christ for salvation. Lord, may they acknowledge their sin before you. And may they bow before the Savior. Lord, lead us to do so. Lead us to respond this morning in our hearts and in this room in a way that glorifies, that magnifies, that exalts your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.